The Courage to Grow is business. The Big Small Business Show made possible by MTN Business, a new world of business. And by Chartered Accountants of South Africa. Lead your industry with a responsible partner. Partner with the CASA today. Hello and welcome to the Big Small Business Show. On our menu for today, we have our panel discussion with Sipukazi Simandla from Bolunga Enterprise. Uh, interesting uh, panel indeed as we watch somebody who battles with a strategy and uh, we get uh, the three panelists to talk about where uh, she needs to be focusing her business. Our leadership uh, series continues uh, with Ian Fur, who is CEO of Sorbet Group and our topic for discussion today is how to build a healthy and aligned business culture. A healthy and aligned business culture. Very important that we align our culture to, to who we are as entrepreneurs. Our expert slot today is with Narcissio Makwaka from SARS. Uh, he is talking to us about VAT registration for non-executive non board members. Do they pay uh, VAT? Don't they pay VAT? Do listen in to find out more. This part of the show is our panel, and on our panel I have our regular gurus. I have our marketing guru, Monalisa. Hi, Hi Lon. How are you? Good, and you? Good, good, good. And uh, also, uh, rather dapper with his glasses in his pocket, is Kumaran Padiachi, who is our finance uh, guru. Just What's finance? Me? Yeah, that's where you're a guru. The rest of the stuff, you're just quite <laughs> average. <laughs> but somebody who's not average is our guest today, who is Sipukazi Simandla, who is MD of, of Bolunga Systems. Now, they offer IT infrastructure and security solutions, which include the installation of data cables, mobile and optic fiber cables as well. Added to this are related support services, such as the management of IT assets and cyber risks. Let's have a look. Bolunga Systems is an ICT products and services company providing service in the mobile networking space in IT infrastructure and IT services. With 18 years of experience in the ICT industry, the owner of the business Sipogazi Simandla saw a market potential of a shift from analog systems to digital which geared her into starting her own business venture. Because we've been running for four years, we fairly survived, uh, close to surviving the first five years of running the business, still being open. And um, it's had a lot of growth um, challenges in it, having knowing that you need to find the right office space, you need to have the right brand, you need to communicate the right messaging, you need to attract the right staff, you need to deal with losses, um, rejections, and all of those package deals that you get in um, business startups. Bulunga. Enterprise was one of the few uh, enterprises or small companies that is black female owned, and that's where our interest was. When we invited the uh, Bolunga Enterprise uh, into our SM, uh, into our uh, supply development program, we looked at the potential of what is that that can be done further by them, um, with in, in relation to the supply of certain services within CETA. 
The business has been in operation for four years, making a turnover of less than 10 million rand in the last financial year and has a staff of 25. From the time where I started it with this business, it hasn't been like this. And we have increased uh, in a lot of clients that we deal with. We have increased in a lot of products that we're doing and we have also created employment. So I think that's really a big increase. My biggest struggle is that I worked for multinationals for most of my career. So transitioning out of doing big projects to doing small projects was the biggest problem that I had. And also being seen for having the skill that you've got and not being portrayed as um, a business that is there for opportunity because it is at the commodity of being uh, a black and female. Sipogazi has goals for the future to grow her market share in her business and move away from having an SME status, making a turnover of over 50 million rand for her business. My short-term goal for the uh, next year would be on how to launch products using the digital media space in such a way that we, don't, we are not overwhelmed by what the market might require from us, but we also have systems to be able to respond and can grow our annuity business. As you heard, Sipokazi signed dealerships uh, for products that she wants to take to the market and wants guidance on how to market them in the most effective way, maximizing social media platforms that she has. Welcome. Thank you. Well, let me just get a sense of uh, what you do because when I listened to the, the insert or watched that insert, for me it was, there were a lot of things that you did. So if, if I asked you in terms of the top three things that you do, how would you list them? If number one would be this, number two, number three, etc. How would you rate them? The top three businesses or uh, involvements that we've had in the yeah. past four years has been in the telecommunication space, doing radio frequency support services. What, what, what for, for, so for me and the viewers who don't that understand what that means? would entail is in the telecommunication space, you have networks like your um, the Vodacoms, the MTN, Celsius, and any of the telecoms companies. We have privately owned infrastructure. Yes. So we have predominantly been in the service business of making sure that that infrastructure stays serviced. Okay. Um, with the measure between IT and telecommunications, then you find that the request from the clients is then inclusive of having to take care of their cabling. Yes. So you'd separate networks with wireline and wireless. So IT normally works with cables. The telecoms traditional environment will work with wireless or what we call mobile. So we are in that support services, and that's where we have uh, we started off, and that's where we've grown from. So why why would you? I'm just trying to think from a strategic point of view. The the, the dealerships for for new products. Why would you want to go there? Are they are they um, completely different? Is it a completely different market, or do they actually work within the context of what you specialize in? The dealerships work within the context of what we specialize in. Um, our plan for the current year was to find a balance or introduce products. Mm. Um, one of the 
feedbacks I got from uh, uh, coaching sessions that I've been doing business coaching was that our business leans a lot on services than in products. We, had, we actually had zero mm -hmm. products. Mm -hmm. And one of the tasks we'd taken on in the past six months was to look at products within our services that we can then launch so that we can have the benefit of having the knowledge, but now we can be able to provide product and service within that space. So that would include um, your um, two-way radios, mm -hmm. the old ones that you know, um, digital two-way radios. They work in their mobile, so it's the device, the end device that the consumer would use in that network. Okay. In an um, IT environment, um, security is now predominant with all the hacking that is happening, whether it's in a private setup or in a business setup. So we found that when we were engaging with clients, their immediate needs that they want dealt with is around security. So we haven't left what we, we started off with, per se. Okay. Well, that's, uh, it's time for us to take a break. We'll continue with more questions from Annalisa and Kamaran straight after this. Welcome back. Now, our guest in studio today is Sipokazi Simandla, MD of Bolunga Systems, and they offer infrastructure and security solutions in the IT industry. Before the break, we were trying to understand more what that actually meant and what products and services the company provides. Come on. Yeah. So I see from your website there's uh, three offerings. The one you mentioned when Alan asked you was telecoms, mm -hmm. and it seems to be servicing the networks. <laughs> Presumably, doing that for the network operators. Um, Private-owned networks so far. Okay. We're trying to tap into the public. Right, and then you've got the second one was IT consulting. Yes. Presumably, that's to businesses. That would be businesses and government, but our bigger client at the moment is government. Right, uh, and then the third one you offer was digital coaching. Yes. Which is to individuals. Um, yes within those businesses or privately at home? We, we're offering it privately okay. and trying to break into the business, into the bigger business All right, market. so that's a consumer offering that digital coaching, right? I know you're trying to get into the mm -hmm. <coughs> to that market, but it's a, it's a consumer offering, so you're servicing them there. Mm -hmm. Your bulk of your clients is government, yes. and I saw CETA in the insert, and you're trying to get into business. So which one of those three because it's hard, I mean, each one of those three are, are different audiences. The requirements are likely to be different. And then uh, your packaging and your marketing is going to be different. Like mm -hmm. if currently the bulk of your customers is, uh, is government, reaching them on social media, which is your question to us, is, is not something that's viable. But if you're moving the business to go into the consumer or digital coaching, then maybe that's the right platform. So that's why I'm asking you, these questions because you've got these three different Audience markets so. it's almost three different businesses and so reaching them becomes a you know answer me so in the context for social media we're looking towards consumer yes um because one of the things we had picked up is once 
the cycles that you use for government work. I mean, mm -hmm. we've got the traditional ways of responding to government requests and the channels that we've been working with. Um, so in this context, we, had just, we were just zooming in on consumer-based um, type products or, or market to access. And so and why are you wanting to do that with consumers if you've got government and business? Purely we had thought through that maybe um, the products that we are easier to push forward towards the market is consumer-based. Because mm. once you move back um, in terms of your product, and I'm saying back in terms of complexity, so moving towards the consumer and moving back towards business, um, is that in the business setup, it's either you need to come in as a um, manufacturer owning the product, therefore it then becomes easier to sell, or the policies that now um, government has, whether it's through National Treasury, they deal, they sign up normally with the manufacturer, and then you'd come in at a distributor, and then the margins just become too, um, they dwindle, and they also quite predictable, and most of that market penetration is quite it's pretty saturated if, if we're walking into it now so because of what you've lessons learned with the public sector or the corporate you want to shift the business more to consumer focus or am i putting words in your mouth or that's what i'm sensing we wanted to test and see whether we had something we had ground to hold because it's it's a place we've never been in um the digital two areas if you look at security um, corporates will look at security at a broader scale, but if they ask for an SMME to provide that solution, when I pitched to them, they said, you are in fact as an SMME at risk yourself. Because from a, an insurance point of view, if we get hacked as a bank, you don't even have enough insurance to cover us. So um, when I tested with them, then we found out if we are able to go to a less um, heightened um, risk environment where it's consumer-based, where you're dealing with users between um, from about 25 to a thousand users about there. Therefore, in that portfolio, we can fairly hold our own. Melissa? Um, Spokhazi, I wanted to ask you, I want to go back to one of the things that you said in the insert was that the transitioning from multinational to being an SMME. And then, I, if I understand correctly, you want to grow within that bracket or grow move away from that tagline of being an SMME. Now my question being to you, given all of the services and given all of the markets that you are penetrating and I, from my view have really analyzed, what do you want your business to be known for the most? Because that becomes your marketing story. <laughs> what we would like, um, what I would like the business to be known for is being able to provide products and services that are creative enough to penetrate niche markets where the need is in specific environments. Now that sounds like a lot of words. Case in point is that um, connectivity and safety, which the name Bolunga stands, it's a closer name mm. meaning goodness. Mm. And normally when you look at the brand of goodness, it's associated to food and nurturing. So the question I ask that stays with me every day is, how do we interpret goodness in terms of technology so that whether it's in a context of you sitting in your desk or sitting at home, technology becomes a, bene a benefit for you instead of coming in and adding on risks? Okay. okay. Well, my, my last question before we, we summarize is, is around 
the, the strategy, and I think Kumaran was going there. You've got these three different markets. It sounds like the one is, has been difficult and uh, is sporadic from a timing point mm. of view. It's unreliable. <laughs> but is the, is the corporate market as sporadic, or, or does it just have other challenges you can't overcome right now? The corporate market is, has other challenges. Um, once that we are gearing ourselves up, um, one of the exercises we had done is to ask a company to assist us with market and further market analysis of the corporate environment where we found that um, mostly corporates will work with existing companies that they've worked with before. Access has been, I don't want to call it, it's, it's click-based because mm. that would be made putting on a lot of assumptions, but you find that getting in and coming in as a newbie um, takes quite a, a, a while to penetrate that. If you're trying to get your lead times initially be long, but once you're then in, then it becomes easier, but the lead times are long. All right, I think, I think we've got enough. I think we're all equally as um, challenged. I think there's a challenging one here, but I think, uh, I think I've got some. Have you got ideas? Have you got? You? Yeah, great. Well, we'll be right back with those summaries straight after this. Do stay tuned. A warm welcome back. Now, our guest in studio today has been Sipukazi Simandla, MD of Bolunga Systems, and they offer infrastructure and security solutions in the IT industry. Before the break, we were trying to understand the different areas of the business, the three different areas, and, and uh, what some of the challenges were. It's time for summaries now, and Kamaran is going to start off with his summary. Sure. Your question for us was about how to reach your audience via social media marketing right yes. and uh, it's a common question that we get in the show about uh, how to market how to grow marketing to get more sales it's a common question and the problem we also find I also find certainly is also quite common which is before we talk about how you reach it's about who do you want to reach mm -hmm. why and then what are you offering them so there was a lot of questions that we were asking uh, from my sense I didn't get clarity I couldn't understand it in terms of which markets you're focusing on, why, and then what you're offering those those markets, um, and and for me those answers needs to be begotten first and understood very crisply, because it may mean some change to your business. Uh, to be disparate in those three different audiences uh, is three fundamental marketing and sales strategies. Um, you know, the consumer, the digital one may not be enough, you know, financially it may not be rewarding, uh, the critical mass. So these are considerations to be, to be had first. So I would encourage you to take time to ponder and think about that really well. Uh, you know, there's a saying that if you're going to take you six hours to chop down the baobab tree, spend four hours sharpening the blade, I'm suggesting sharpen the blade on this thing, then you find the marketing issues become much easier when there's clarity and confidence on this. I think my advice is slightly similar. Um, I think the the idea of, of it's, it's, it's obviously incentivized by growth. You want to grow your business. You want to grow your market share. And I think in, in, in terms of what Kumaran is saying, 
the competency or the approach that you're going to need for this new market in terms of marketing is, is a, it needs to be a little bit more clearer and it's going to take you time in order to get it right. And you might not find it you know, fruitful in the beginning, putting in all of this work, all of this money, and not getting the results because of lack of clarity and because that market is it, it's not something you throw out and hope for the best. You have to be consistent and continuous. So my advice is I think you need to, you ha already have a strong product, or if I can call it that, a strong offering. Mm. And I think there's opportunity to master the marketing of that first with your existing clients, maybe growing the services within the existing clients or you know, with new clients that you want to uh, attract within the business offering that you have and master that because that's going to take you through a process of understanding this very approach that um, Kumar is talking about, understanding your market, understanding what they need, how they want to be spoken to and how they want to be reached. Because once you've got that system and that understanding, your application once you have clarity on this new social media approach and consumer becomes a lot less intensive because you've kind of gotten a rhythm around the framework mm -hmm. of your business, your offering and how you want it to be presented. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, from my perspective, I, I think I'm going to echo some of what uh, my colleagues here have said. To me, there are three, there are three markets. You've got the, the public sector corporate and the, and the, the, the home user, home user the, the general home user. And they're three completely different markets with three different requirements from a competency point of view, which I think is what Kamaran was saying was choose, decide why you want to be in which market. If I had to choo choose based on what we've heard from you and what the research I've done uh, on you, I would go for the, the corporate market. Yes. And now to, to, to actually uh, echo what um, Mona Lisa said, I would then want to understand that market and m master the marketing to that, that market. I think the strategy of services and, and, and product I is fine. It's a good one to try and have a good mix, but it should be to a single market. What mm -hmm. it feels like to me is that that you're looking for additional sources of income in the interim to, to try and yes. flatten this, this frequency of income. <laughs> and it's, it's actually, from a strategic point of view, it's, it, it's actually distracting you mm -hmm. from what you should be doing. Now, I understand having been there at the beginning of my journey as an entrepreneur, how you need to create additional sources of income. I, I for one, used to go and consult for money, but I never became a consultant. I, for one, used to speak for money, but I never ca became a speaker. So, so I, I totally respect your, that you're looking for other sources of income, but as long as it becomes the means to an end and not the end in itself, and that means that it doesn't become the strategy. It just, you very well know that I'm picking up these additional sources of income in the in interim while I'm focusing and honing my marketing strategy and my product strategy to, to the corporate. So where I would go finally now is to find what is the sharp edge is why you're not entering this corporate market. I would spend most of my time trying to understand what is the product or service, how you, you can create something unique that is able to penetrate what they want and spend all your time there. I think that is in the long term 
and the medium term a far better strategy than spreading all your energy across th these three sectors. I get, I get why you're doing it. Like I've been there, we've all been there. Mm. Uh, but the danger is it can, t it can take your eye off the ball, you think that's where you want to go, and you miss the real opportunity. And from the nods that I hear, corporate seems to be a consensus yes. as to where, where we, mm. we think you should go. All right. After the break, I'm joined by Ian Fur, CEO of Sorbet Group, and he's going to share his wisdom on how to build an aligned and healthy business culture. We'll be right back. A warm welcome back. This is the Big Small Business Show. We are continuing our series on leadership, and my guest today in studio is Ian Fur. He is CEO of the Sorbet Group, and uh, Ian has been one of those entrepreneurs that has started many businesses in his uh, journey as an entrepreneur and built some magnificent successes. And we're tapping into his brain talking about leadership. Leadership is something very close to Ed. And over the last couple of weeks, we've spoken about uh, servant leadership. We've spoken about uh, motivation and inspiration. What's the difference between the two? And today we're talking about culture. Now the saying is that uh, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yes. Okay? Yes. And, uh, and, 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 and but, but what we're talking about today is, uh, is I've, I've labeled it a healthy aligned culture. Mm. Um, so, so how would you interpret a healthy aligned culture? Is when all the people believe what you believe, essentially. When I say you with and what the leadership believes. Um, and, and it's got many elements, but, but the one thing is that if you don't have a strong community base, if you don't have a strong culture in your organization, it's going to be very, very difficult to serve your guests with any real sort of efficiency or perfection because people will be unhappy about things, there'll be, there'll be personality clashes, there'll be problems all over the place, and that undermines the ability and the initiative that people require to go out there and serve their guests to the very best of their, of their ability. So you first have to work on the culture and, get, and understand the importance of relationships within the community itself, and of course relationships between the leadership and the community. So there are a number of things. First, you get people to understand that they don't come to work to make money. Now, at first, that's like a horrible notion. They can't understand what you're talking about. But when you start to explain it, people come and they start to believe that, in, in actual fact, the purpose of work is to serve others. And if you do that well, you will make money. Whereas most people come to work to make money. And when you do that, you, you unfortunately don't always serve well because there are lots of shortcuts and things that you do in order to make money that are not necessarily linked to good service. So that's the one thing, is get people to understand the purpose of work. Then also to get people to understand the importance of building relationships within the community itself. We live in a highly diverse society. And when you talk about community, you're talking about the internal community. The, the internal community okay. of that store. Of that store. People because. working in that store. That's yeah. really what I'm talking about. And we all come from highly diverse backgrounds. We, we understand that we live in a dynamic, volatile, socio-political environment. And people come there with different views and different ideas and different cultures and backgrounds and religions and race groups. And, and we have to try and get them to understand each other and work well. And that's, that's not an easy thing to do. Not many companies spend much time on trying to build 
race relations and, and cultures and religious toleration and stuff like that. They see that as a kind of a sensitive area that best left alone or they sweep it under the carpet if they even realize that it's a problem at all. And it is, a, I mean, it's a huge problem in South Africa. We have all these people coming from different backgrounds and you expect them to get on in the workplace and just get on with it. And that's just naive at best and stupid at worst, to, to be honest. So we spend a lot of time trying to get people to understand, to accept, respect, and tolerate each other. How do you do that? Just by getting to, firstly, to understand that the issues are there and that they need to be addressed. But is that in a conversation? Do you, do you facilitate conversations between people? Correct. Well, it's part of the induction, firstly. So we do a lot of, of discussion around that. And then, we, again, we encourage our franchisees to do that in all of their talk shows. We have a thing called a talk show. It's like a little community forum that they have where, you know, once a month they close their doors for an hour and they chat about stuff. And, um, and we feel that if we can get people to, perhaps we can try and build a rainbow community. If we can't get the rainbow nation right, maybe there's an opportunity for us to show South Africa what can be done in these rainbow communities where, where we have a large amount of tolerance and acceptance and respect of people who are different because it can be done and I think if you do it the ultimate success is enormous because you create a platform from which you can go out there and truly achieve the objective which is to serve people and make them feel good about themselves. If people are unhappy in their environment the service will never be up to scratch because they are focused on the wrong things. So, so Okay, so if I'm trying, I'm trying to, I'm going to paraphrase here, but because I think mm. I'm missing some stuff. So what, what I'm hearing you talk about is the the interpersonal relationships of the people that they True. get on. Yes. Yeah, so that's sort of that way. Yeah. Then at another level, you spoke about cultures where pe aligned cultures where they all believe what you believe. So yes. there's this sort of mm. this this sort of down here yeah. like that, right? You can see the picture, right? Yes. But. But and there's a third one, sorry, yes, because yeah, what it's is between it? the guests and the citizens. Yes. We call the citizen our staff a citizen. Right. So that's the third one, is the people coming from the outside. Yes. And how are we relating to them as well? Okay. So, so culture, they often speak about uh, when people try and define culture. It's the saying that, that this is um, what is repeated as, as a matter of course without yes. thinking in an organization that that organization just yeah. does it that yeah. way Correct. right it's the way we do things it's really. the way. yeah so how, i'm just trying to get from the is that where the the way is then sort of i don't know in, in, embedded in in all these little cells of these connections between people in theory that's how it should be i mean i can't say for one minute that it's like that in every single store but that's the theory is that every single franchisee who's the leader of that community needs to be able to deal with issues of dignity and respect and that's critical um, and if you can't do that i think you're going to struggle especially in the south african environment so that's really where we try and work it is, is to get that uh, that acceptance of people that are different to you because people might come in from different areas, different political views, there's a million different issues of diversity that we're trying to cram into one big melting pot in South Africa and hoping that it all washes out in the mix. But as we know, it's not working like that. Sorbet's got you know, hundreds, I assume, hundreds of... of uh, 190 at the moment. 190 yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, stores. 
how do you ensure that you still give people the, an authentic culture to themselves in the store? Well, we're not looking for sort of a unique culture per store. We, we want a, an overall culture, but then each one will have a leader, and every single leader's got a different personality. So I think it'll largely depend on the leader there, but there are some sort of golden rules uh, about how they should lead. And unfortunately, not everyone is like that. So, I mean, that's just the way of the world, and, and we need to keep working as hard as we can. But if we can get a high percentage of them believing what we believe and practicing that belief, well, then it, it, it can work. You know, we, we feel, if we look at our business, we don't do anything that's dramatically different from our competitors. We don't offer products that are dramatically different. In fact, there's a lot of overlap between what we offer and most of our competitors do. So then, what is this the secret of, of our success, it would have to be our culture because that is the one thing where we can differentiate ourselves, where we have a positive attitude of our people because the culture is conducive to that and the positive attitude towards service and that's why we get all these amazing stories coming out from our guests about our people and what they do. And that's because the culture is conducive and it's built around that and they're coming out and they're feeling strongly about themselves. Yeah, and that's all we've got uh, time for, for, for today. Um, we, next week we're going to pick up around something that you spoke about here, which was uh, around communities and why you don't like to talk about your management team or the leadership team, but talk about communities. And I'd lo love to unpack more about how you think about that. Thanks for being yeah. on the show today. Good. Thank you. Up next, I'm joined by Narcissio Makwakwa from SARS, and we're going to discuss when and why non-executive board members have to register for VAT. This interview is especially relevant to medium-sized business owners and, of course, all our viewers who are aspiring to become board members into the future. We'll be right back. Welcome back, this is the Big Small Business Show. Now effective from the 1st of June 2017, non-executive board members are required to register for VAT if their fees exceed one million rand mark over a period of one year. Now joining me now in studio to give us more information on this is Narcissio Makwakwa, who's Executive of Tax Strategy at SARS. Welcome back, Nasazia. Thanks for having us. Yeah, now I just have to comment. I mean, you are our favorite tax uh, SARS guy. I wouldn't say tax guy, but SARS guy. And I see that today we haven't got your, your shoes off, but we certainly are, are stripping you of your seriousness. You've got some nice <laughs> socks on there. Uh, and even though I'm in stripes and you in polka dots, it's getting closer. It's connected. <laughs> it's connected. <laughs> All right. Let's get serious now. The, yeah. the, the executive uh, director, what is a non-executive director? What, what is that? So uh, there are two types of directors. So you can be an executive director, which means you wake up in the morning and you work for a particular company. The non-executive directors are more people who independently come either on board uh, uh, meetings or they sit on audit committees or remuneration committees. But those are not 
employees of uh, the company. They can be sitting in many different uh, boards of companies. So that element of not you being an employee, but you're a sort of, let's call it similar service to a consulting mm. or an independent contractor. That makes you a non-executive director, but obviously you get appointed by resolution of the companies in board meetings and stuff like that. So in that particular case, that's what makes you a non-executive board member who requires to register for VAT. So if, if I'm sitting on a number of boards as a non-exec, um, do you add up all my, all my fees and then get to the, uh, if I exceed a million, or is it a million per, just to be clear? Yeah. So if you, the, the million includes any other fee that you earn. So say, for example, you are a board member in one company, but you still run a consulting on your own, in your own name. Yes. You will also have to add the consulting fee because that is not remuneration, it's not a salary. Yes. So you, uh, you will have to add your board member's fee and your, your, your other consulting fees. And once those reach a million, then you have to register for VAT. If you sit in many different boards, so let's say you sit in three different boards, so you sit in three different companies, they each give you, let's say, going to remunerate you for 500000 Obviously, if you add a three, there'll be 1.5 million. You have exceeded the 1 million mark, therefore you'll have to register for VAT with effect from the 1st of January, I mean 1st of June, rather, 2017. So in the past, I used to be a non-exec director for, for an organization, and uh, they used to deduct the, 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 the tax, uh, and it was under a million rand. Is still, that still valid now? Yeah, the tax you're talking about, so let's make this clear, there's a difference between the pay as you earn yeah. and the VAT. Right. So the tax that you're talking about was more on pay as you earn. Right. And what used to happen was most of the non-executive directors were voluntarily requesting the companies to deduct that pay as you earn because they were provisional taxpayers for yeah. income tax purposes. Okay. The two taxes work independent of each other. So even if you were to go and ask your company to still continue deducting the pay as you earn on your, on, your, on your fees, you will still have to register for VAT. Remember, when you register for VAT, you have to charge yes. the company that 14% yes. and you pay it over to SARS. On the other side of the pay as you earn, they are deducting whatever pay as you earn they're deducting and they're going to give you an IRP5, which you will be submitting for income tax purposes. So we just need to make it clear that people should, shouldn't confuse VAT and pay as the end. They work independently. So the net effect to the, to the company, the, the, the corporate company that's employing your services, is they actually are paying 14% more. Because, so, so they w let's, say, let's just round numbers. I was earning a million rand a year as a non-exec director. Before, I would, I would not be registered for that and I would, I would do PAYE. So the total cost of company for the, for the organization would be a million rand. Mm. Now I charge 1,140,000. So that's what they would pay across to me. They would see that as an input uh, from a company point of view. It would be now, um, uh, w w how would they treat the, that, that uh, the 140,000? Okay. 
So it will be, you, it was, let's say it's 140,000, it was a million, now it's 140,000. Yeah. So the 140,000 that you charged yeah. the company, the company will give you the 140,000 you paid over to SAS. Yes. The company will then go and claim the 140,000 from the taxman as input tax. Okay. Subject to other of those conditions where we, whether they are making exempt or taxable supplies, but that's a different element altogether in the hands of the company itself. Now, the pay as you earn, if you ask them to deduct the pay as you earn, they will not be deducting pay as you earn on the hand, 1 million 140,000. They'll be deducting pay as you earn on the 1 million only. Okay. So if it's 25%, it will be 25% of the 1 million. But you will get the 1 million 140,000, 140,000 you pay over to SAS. The company claims the 140,000 from SAS. Let's go to the effective date being the 1st of uh, June 2017. So if I, if I um, register on that date, do I, uh, am I looking at the prior year or, how, uh, or, or the year moving forward? So when we say it's effective from the 1st of June 2017, you're starting from that day looking forward. But there are those uh, directors who probably, in the example that I've given, who have been running the other business, they've already been registered for VAT. Hmm. So now, come the first of January, um, first of June, 2017. All they need to do is to now start charging VAT, but they don't have to do a, a re-registration because they already have a VAT number. They're already making uh, a million in that example. But if you have not been a non-executive director, or if you were a non-executive director but your fees were below uh, a million, and now from the 1st of June, you think you're going to be more than a million. Mm. Then you need to register from the 1st of June going forward. We're not looking backwards. Okay. Yeah. So, so let's, let's just talk about what's in it for um, the non-exec director. Is there an upside for, for me to, to do all this? Not that I have a choice, but, but do I have an upside? Well, there is a, the upside to it is the same as any other consulting business. So the upside to it is those expenses that you were incurring as an executive director, you wouldn't previously, so if they were charging you VAT mm. on your own computer or stationery, whatever the case may be, previously you wouldn't claim that input tax as a non-executive director. But now when you register for VAT, you will be able to get a tax, an input tax deduction of those costs that you incur in order for you to be able to render the service as an executive director. We're going to leave it there on the good note before the, we, there are any downsides. Um, I'm my favorite SARS uh, individual, who, and, uh, and we really appreciate you coming in and always uh, speaking about these issues in such a clear way. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you very much. Well, it's time for my impressions for today. And today I want to take uh, something particularly out of Sipukazi's interview uh, on the panel. But, uh, but this is something that is quite thematic that comes through on the show again and again. And I've been asked by you, the viewer, to unpack this thing called focus. Because if you've been watching the show for a long time, you know that we keep telling you to focus, focus, focus. And somebody wrote in and said, well, how do I focus? So here's... Here's some uh, insights and maybe six points to think about 
in terms of how to focus your strategy, how to focus your in intentions within your business. The first, uh, the first way to focus is to use uh, a subset of your core competencies. So it means that, that very often what you see is you see entrepreneurs and they say that we do this and we do that and we do the, all these different things and they've got a, a telephone list uh, of, of all the things that they specialize in. If you look at the essence of what they, all these things that they say that they do, they require different competencies to do those different things. So if you are, if you're saying that we, uh, maybe we do make uh, cakes so I need to have the competency to bake cakes but if I start saying that I also uh, do, do uh, ceilings then I need a different kind of competency and, and believe me I've seen businesses where they say they do cakes and ceilings those are not the same competencies ensure that you choose a subset of competencies in terms of how you focus the second uh, the second way to think about focus is the same a buyer who is the buyer? So you would have built relationships with different people who are buying from you, and it might be the same buyer with different reasons that they buy. So your focus could be on all the people who purchase from me, all the people who have purchased from me in the past, and the people who are buying from me right now. Those might be the people that you focus on specifically. The third uh, area where you might focus is a geography. And a geography, very often as small businesses, we actually, and I, I'm loath to say this on the show, but we often think a little bit too, too big to start off with. In, in my experience, you start off with a geography that's quite tight, something around your suburb, perhaps uh, at maximum your province, and start, start to try and dominate there. So focus on that geography before you move out to other geographies. You've seen this on the show where people start talking about going international and across the border before they've actually uh, got their local geography right. The next area is that you might want to focus on is the, sa the same buying motive. So you might have different people who are buying, but they're buying for the same, for the same problem. Different markets having the same problem, uh, so you focus on the actual problem that you are solving as a small business. That is a focal area. And then, then the same part of the value chain. So you see that uh, uh, certain people, let, let's say I was selling washing powder. I could be selling washing powder either uh, online in a digital format or I could sell it, uh, uh, sell it to a wholesaler or I could sell it to a retailer or directly to the public. Those are not the same thing. The fact that I might focus on a certain and I sell washing powder to the wholesale market is a, a focus area. So w the same, choosing the right part of the value chain for you. And then, and then it's about selling exactly the same, the focus on exactly the same product. It's about selling one thing to, to many people for different reasons. So you see that very often that entrepreneurs start off one thing and all of a sudden they start hearing about the fact that their clients want this and that and the other and they start having a whole um, catalog of different products or, or services that they offer. And that creates a huge amount of complexity too, too early on in the business. My suggestion is that you focus and keep the number of products and services as tight as possible. No more, in my opinion, than two products or services per category. So, how do we finish? How do we tie this all up? 
one, and I've said this before, once you have focused and you dominate a certain geography, a certain market, a certain area, then you start to move beyond the borders and move, uh, not the borders of the country, but borders of, of that target market and then move beyond that. That, I uh, hope, clears things up on how to focus. Well, that's it for my impressions today. If you'd like to be on the show, do email us on bigsmall at bdtv.co.za or interact with us on Twitter at bsbs underscore t uh, bdtv. We have been getting a huge amount of interaction with you on Twitter where you've been telling us your impressions about what you want to be talking about. You've been telling us your opinion about certain things. We love hearing your opinion. So please do keep tweeting us. Do keep communicating with us. We'll, we absolutely love the feedback. It's goodbye from me, and remember, if you think it, write it down and make it a reality. Sorry, I need to sneeze. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> now oh, I don't no. need to sneeze. I'll probably sneeze during taping. <laughs>